0: On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla holds its long-awaited AI day and reveals a Jetson-style home robot in the process. Plus, Tesla's production backlog grows again as demand continues to rise. The Model Y arrives in Europe with some not-so-subtle camouflage and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you alongside Daisy the Boxer for episode 316 of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast, this one for August 22nd, 2021, and I wanted to start, before I get into AI day, because there is a lot to cover there, a couple of follow-up things I wanted to say about my Plaid test drive that I forgot to last week, just some extra notes that popped into my head that I feel like, you know, I want to relay this, because... The experience of driving a Plaid is, at this point in time, a fairly unique one. So, one, I didn't comment on the UI at all. And I wanted to say that the new UI feels really new. And you can really feel the difference in the speed, too, the the zippiness of it. That 10 teraflop system just totally feels cutting edge. It's uh, not that not that our Model Threes and Model Ys and well the entire fleet really other than the the Plads and the the new long range Ss not that they feel slow but it's just a there's really just an extra level of of zippiness to it which I thought was uh, really great. Also, the actual turning of the yoke. I didn't really talk about that. I talked generally about it, but actually turning because I did do some like parking lot maneuvers a few times and. I actually thought turning it wasn't too bad, but in a panic situation, that's where I wanted to acknowledge that, you know, that's where it could be not great, potentially. Though, I will acknowledge that maybe it wouldn't be a problem, potentially, in a bad situation, once you did get completely used to it, which I certainly had not in just a couple of hours. Uh, The third thing is, I wanted to note... The regenerative braking in the Plaid is noticeably more intense than in my dual motor Model 3, which I like, and I presume that's because there are three motors instead of two in the Plaid. So I like the heavier regen effect on the Plaid. And I also wanted to thank a couple of Plaid owners out there who, in response to my criticism last week about the horn being a button that, hey, in a a sudden horn-worthy situation, you'd have a tough time finding, they let me know that you can just put your entire hand, your palm over all the buttons over on that right side of the wheel, uh, right side of the yoke, I should say, and it will honk. So that's good. That is a smart call by Tesla. I wanted to acknowledge that because that's not that I, uh, you know, gave incorrect information per se, but this is more accurate and better information. So thanks to the owner's who uh, sent me that information. And finally, before I get to AI Day and the rest of the Tesla news, I wanted to comment on the sound of the Plaid because it reminded me of the original Roadster. And you might be thinking, well, they don't really have a lot in common. What do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is that uh, it's. I guess it's from the twenty thousand RPMs that you're that you're revving up in Plaid when you launch it. But when you launch that car, the combination of three motors plus the high RPM, you really hear the motors whine. Uh, much more prominently than in my Model 3 Performance or any other Tesla I've been in other than the original Roadster, which had, like, no sound insulation in it, and the motor was basically right behind you because you're in this little tiny sports car sitting right on the ground, basically. So I loved that. I love the sound that the Plaid makes. I thought that was really cool. It's very Millennium Falcony, uh, just going into hyperspace, so... I uh, thought I would pass that along as well. Okay, now, AI Day. That was the big story this week. And I and it was a surprise for me in that I was not expecting to go to this event. I had no designs on attending. I, I didn't ask anybody at Tesla. I didn't hear of any invitations being sent out to anybody in the media or the community. You know, it, it was, and, and that was fine because it was positioned from the jump as a recruiting event. However, I was very pleasantly surprised and grateful to get a last minute invite the morning of the event. And thankfully, I am blessed to live about 45 minutes away from Tesla's corporate headquarters in Palo Alto, which was where the event was held. So I arranged my calendar for the day and I was able to just jump in the car and zip on down there. And at the event, it was a Fairly small event, just generally speaking, but I think it was really small with regard to media slash community people, because I only saw two other media people there. It's not to say there weren't a few more, but um, we they did give us red badges, and everybody else got a like a white AI Day badge with a cool uh, picture of the of of the Dojo hardware onto the chip. And we just had a, I just had a generic red badge with a G for a guest on it, so you could pick out media people, and there were only <laughs> there were only a couple of us that I could see, so uh, I just feel extra appreciative for that invitation, and I want to say to the kind Tesla soul who invited me, I don't know who it was, if you're out there listening. I want to say thank you sincerely because I I did appreciate being able to attend. I always, I'm always so grateful to get to go to Tesla events because it's a, it's fun. And B, I feel like I can do a much better job of, of conveying information to you and, and relaying an experience when I actually get to be there versus just watching it on a stream. So, uh, very grateful for that opportunity and it proved to be a fun night. Now, before you even walked in the door, sitting out front, roped off, was the Cybertruck—the one and only Cybertruck prototype that anyone is aware of—and it was extra shiny at this event. It looked shinier than I remembered, and I had my thought was immediately again being a longtime DeLorean owner was, I bet the production version will not be as polished as this prototype was. The other night, because number one, it takes work to even get it to be that polished. And number two, it's a pain to maintain it. It's you don't you don't really want it to be that polished. Uh, Trust me on that. And number three, kind of on that same along that same line, you don't want it to be that that polished and shiny because it can be blinding to other drivers or even potentially yourself in like low light, late afternoon kind of lighting conditions. So I would not at all be surprised if the final production Cybertruck has a bit more of a, I don't want to say dull finish because that's, that implies the word dull has a sort of a negative implication and I don't mean it that way, but like more of a DeLorean-esque, uh, finish to it where you can see the the graining in the in the metal and it's it's not a blinding shiny reflective thing anyway on to the event itself if you've been listening for seven something minutes going when are you going to talk about ai day i apologize it starts now uh it was a very very technical event as i expected and i acknowledge i did not completely understand a lot of the specifics and a lot of the uh, mathematical equations and things that were on the slides, but the incredible progress that Tesla has made with self-driving and the neural net was extremely clear, particularly when they got to the dojo portion of the presentation, which was in the middle, which I will get to shortly. But first, I thought that this line from Andre Carpathy, the head of autopilot, summed things up rather well, and in hindsight, proved to be somewhat prescient for what was to come later in the evening. Uh, my name is Andre, and um,
1: I, am, uh, I lead the Vision team here at Tesla Autopilot, and I'm incredibly excited to be here uh, to kick off this section, giving you a technical deep dive into the Autopilot stack and showing you all the under the hood components that go into making the car drive all by itself. So we're going to start off with the Vision component here. Now, in the vision component, what we're trying to do is we're trying to design a neural network that processes the raw information, uh, which in our case is the eight cameras that are positioned around the vehicle. And they send us images. And we need to process that in real time into what we call the vector space. And this is a three-dimensional representation of everything you need for driving. So this is the three-dimensional positions of lines, edges, curbs, uh, traffic signs, traffic lights, uh, cars, their positions, orientations, depths, velocities, and so on. so here I'm showing the video of the raw inputs that come into the stack. And then neural processes that into the vector space. And you are seeing parts of that vector space rendered in the instrument cluster on the car. Now, what I find kind of fascinating about this is that we are effectively building a synthetic animal from the ground up. So the car can be thought of as an animal. It moves around. It senses the environment and uh, you know, acts autonomously and intelligently. And we are building all of the components from scratch in-house.
0: I really liked his description of the entire holistic autopilot system and really, by extension, the entire car as a synthetic animal. I think it works really well. And and in his presentation as well, which I want to say up front, I'm not going to play a lot of clips from this two and a half hour, very technical presentation. I do have a handful, uh, but this isn't going to be like a, this is going to be definitely more of a Cliff's Notes version with with some of my takeaways so we'll see uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it but anyway uh, his presentation I, I thought he did a really good job demonstrating the evolution of the system in terms of how it worked four years ago which is when he said he joined Tesla to how it works now that was a really compelling part of the presentation now as I said not going to play a ton of clips from the presentation itself. I will say, if you're really interested in all of the nitty-gritty details, definitely watch the whole thing. I encourage you to watch it. It's on Tesla's YouTube channel. You're definitely going to want to set aside some time to do it, but there is a lot of of meat to chew on there. There's a a lot of information presented. Now, we heard Andre talk about the vision-based autopilot system during his part of the presentation, and we learned... How Tesla arrived at the decision to transition away from the radar. We learned how Andre's team, and really kind of by extension, us as Tesla drivers, trains the neural network and then the autopilot team, how they label it. And then I'm gonna get right to the dojo stuff here. Uh, Ganesh Venkataramanan came out to talk about Project Dojo. And that, to me, the presentation just leveled up. That's no disrespect to any of the previous speakers, but this is where it got really fun. Ganesh getting fired up about Dojo. Take a listen to this.
2: Just to give you a comparison point, this is more than two times the bandwidth coming out of the -the state-of-the-art networking switch chips which are out there today and network switch chips are supposed to be the gold standards for I-O bandwidth. If we put all of it together, we get training optimized chip, our D1 chip. This chip is manufactured in 7-nanometer technology. It packs 50 billion transistors in a miserly 645-millimeter square. One thing you'll notice. 100% of the area out here is going towards machine learning training and bandwidth. There is no dark silicon. There is no legacy support. This is a pure machine learning machine. And this is the D1 chip in a flip chip BGA package. This was entirely designed by Tesla team internally, all the way from the architecture to GDS out and package. This chip is like a GPU-level compute with a CPU-level flexibility and twice the network chip-level I.O. bandwidth. If I were to plot the I.O. bandwidth on the vertical scale versus teraflops of compute that is available in the state of the art machine learning chips are there, uh, including some of the startups, you can easily see why our design point excels beyond par. But of course, Tesla kept
0: right on going. Take a listen to this, a little bit more about Dojo, moving from beyond the Dojo One chip on up to something bigger.
2: By now, you must have realized our modularity story is pretty strong. We just put together some tiles. We just tiled together tiles. (laughs) A two-by-three tile in a tray makes our training matrix, and two trays in a cabinet give 100 petaflops of compute. Did we stop here? No. (laughs) We just Integrated seamlessly, we broke the cabinet walls. We integrated these tiles seamlessly all the way through, preserving the bandwidth. There's no bandwidth divot out here, there's no bandwidth cliffs. All the tiles are seamlessly connected with the same bandwidth. And with this, we have an exapod. This is One exaflop of compute in 10 cabinets. It's more than a million training nodes that you saw. We paid meticulous attention to that training node, and there are one million nodes out here with uniform bandwidth. So, it is a custom-built
0: system, the likes of which the world has never seen, that will be applied to the problem of full self-driving. You've got the D1 chip, like a small, you know, same roughly the same size as a CPU in a, in a desktop computer, but then there's the training tile, the tile he referenced there. That is a real thing. He held one up. It is about the size of a square dinner plate, and that, as you heard, 9 Petaflops, which is just absurd, <laughs> even to me, again, the dumbest person in the room that night, this was just crazy exciting. It made me think, A, Dojo's gonna be really cool, and if that, if Tesla's team is really excited about it, that in turn gets me excited about it as a Tesla owner and someone who has paid for FSD and is eager to see the results of that. And then B, it made me think, that Tesla's competitors have to have all been watching this presentation, right? They have to have all been watching it, taking notes, trying to see what they could learn, trying to see what they could steal from from this presentation. I mean, you'd be foolish not to, wouldn't you? Anyway, back on track. Uh, Let's go to the other noteworthy part of the presentation now, because that's really, again, just a handful of clips for you. They, they went over the, the sort of progress to date and the switch from radar to vision and how they uh, label the videos and, and, and all the information that comes into the neural network. And then they introduce Dojo and how Dojo is going to level everything up. Then we get to the real forward-looking portion of the presentation, which was this.
3: So Dojo is real. Uh, the Tesla bot will be real. Um, but uh, basically... If you think about what we're doing right now with the cars, uh, Tesla is arguably the world's biggest robotics company because our cars are like se- semi-sentient robots on wheels. Um, and with uh, the full self-driving computer, essentially the, the inference engine on the car, which will keep evolving obviously, and uh, Dojo uh, and all the uh, neural nets recognizing the world, understanding how to navigate through the world, Uh, It kind of makes sense to put that onto a humanoid form. Um, We're also quite good at uh, sensors and batteries and uh, actuators. So uh, we think we'll probably have uh, a prototype sometime next year uh, that uh, basically looks like this. Um, And it's intended to um, uh, be friendly, of course. and uh, navigate through a world uh, built for humans and uh, eliminate dangerous, repetitive, and boring tasks. Um, We're setting it such that it is, um, at a mechanical level, at a physical level, uh, you can run away from it. um, (laughs) And and most likely, overpower it. (laughs) So uh, hopefully that doesn't ever happen, but um, you never know. So it's uh, it'll be a, you know, a light, a, a light, yeah. Anyway, five miles an hour. You can get run past on that, would will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, around uh, five foot eight, um, uh, has sort of a, a screen where the head is for useful information, um, but it's otherwise basically got the autopilot system in it. So it's uh, got cameras, got eight cameras and. Um, yeah uh, full set driving computer and making use of all of the same tools that we use in the car, so um, I mean things that I think that are really hard about uh, having a useful humanoid robot is c- cannot navigate through the world without being expl- explicitly trained, uh, I mean c- without explicit like line by line instructions. Um, can you, can you talk to it and say, you know, please uh, pick up that bolt uh, and uh, attach it to a car with that wrench? And it should be able to do that. Um, it should be able to, you know, please, you know, please go to the store and get me the following groceries. Um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we can do that.
0: Yes, the Teslabot, which is codenamed Optimus, by the way, as in, of course, Optimus Prime from Transformers. It uses the autopilot cameras and the FSD computer to do menial tasks around the house. Think a real-life version of Rosie from the Jetsons. Now, a common line of thinking that I saw online that I cannot take any credit for when I was reading up. Uh, at the reactions to all this after the fact, because it's always different when you're there at the event. It's it's good. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing that's bad about being there. I'd always rather be there, but you are kind of also in the eye of the hurricane, and you can't really see the reaction. What how everybody you know everyone else is perceiving it a bit differently than you are when you're in the room. And uh, a big a big uh, common thing I saw online afterwards was that. People think Elon is building these to literally build the Mars colony that we're going to need if we're going to colonize Mars, which would be a dangerous job for humans to be on the surface of Mars in suits building things. Why not use these humanoid robots, which I cannot disagree with. That is a very plausible theory here. Now, a thought that occurred to me was that maybe the Tesla bots will be deployed at supercharger stations as the final form of the charging snake that was prototyped years ago, where these Tesla bots can plug in your car at the supercharger and unplug it when it's done. Once we reach full self-driving, full autonomy, and your car will be able to take you on a road trip while you sleep. That seems like the more, well, at least a, a more earthbound practical application of how Tesla could use these. Now, I also saw certainly a lot of jokes made about this at the night of the reveal. uh, And I also saw constructive feedback too. I mean, maybe you'd even call it constructive criticism. Because I I do think it's fair to ask uh, one thing that I saw was, well, how does this further Tesla's mission? Tesla's often repeated mission of accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy. The cars do, the solar panels do, the battery storage does, but how does the Tesla bot do that? I'm not sure that there's a a good answer for that at this point in time. Would a home robot be awesome? Yes. Yes, it would definitely be awesome. I mean, I I was catching up my wife the next morning because I got home late, talking to my wife, telling her about the event, she didn't watch it, and I said, you know, tell her about it, and I said, well, you know, I wonder, you know, how much this thing would cost if they actually build these and actually sell them, like, and the number that just popped into my head, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure if if I'm off, I'm probably way too low, but I thought, well, maybe 10 grand, I don't know, something like that, maybe more. And my wife said that, like, her eyes lit up. She said, if it could actually do things like, sweep the floors mop the floors vacuum unload the dishwasher stuff like that that she would easily pay $10,000 for that and in as a long-term investment to save us the time of doing those chores ourselves thus freeing us to do more creative things that are that are more fulfilling or more just mentally challenging whatever it is you know the, getting rid of the menial tasks as Elon suggests that the Tesla bot will do would be a very valuable thing. So, uh, she also pointed out being a financially minded person that it could open up an entire new market for Tesla and raise the ceiling on their market cap, basically just like level up their, their entire financial potential effectively similar. Like, I guess the, Maybe this is a good comparison, maybe it's not, but similar to Apple going from being a computer company to being a company that makes phones. Like that, you know, opened up, that completely leveled up Apple in every single way, shape, and form. So we'll see. I mean, I would say my concern, and I'm using air quotes here, as someone who is a Tesla owner and I love the cars, that's what I care about most with this company. And somebody, I'm somebody that wants full self-driving to become real and to be amazing. What concerns me, again, with air quotes, concern, that the idea of devoting resources to this, to the Tesla bot, that could be applied to FSD or something with the cars instead. Now, I realize that this was a recruiting event. They don't have a working robot. They said that. But they announced it anyway because they want smart people to come and work on it. But I think it is fair to ask if we would rather have those people, those smart people, working on the cars instead of the Tesla Bot. I imagine that the community is probably going to be somewhat divided on even the idea of the Tesla Bot. And again, I'm I'm not making a decision yet. I'm just I I think the idea is exciting, but as again. Someone who cares first and foremost about the cars, I wonder if the resources being allocated to this could be better spent elsewhere. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know the answer to that. But regardless, it is certainly going to be fascinating to see how this project evolves over the coming years. So that was the end of the, the presentation. And then there was about, gosh, 45, maybe close to an hour of Q and A, so I've I've plucked here. Let's see, one, two, three, three clips from the Q and A. The first one here: When will Dojo be operational? We saw real chips being held up by Ganesh, uh, the real tile, the real chip. So when? When will it actually come online, Elon?
3: So we we should have Dojo operational next year, um, and um, I think we'll we'll obviously use it for. Uh, training, video training, I mean, fundamentally this is about, like, um, the the, the primary application initially is uh, we've got vast amounts of video and how do we train vast amounts of video uh, as efficiently as possible? Um, And um, uh, also shorten the amount of time. Like, if if you're trying to train train to a task, like just in general, innovation is um, how many iterations and what is the average progress between each iteration. And so if if you can reduce the time between iterations, uh, the rate of improvement uh, is, is much better. So, um, you know, if it takes like sometimes a couple days for a model to train versus a couple hours, that's that's a big deal. Um, but the, the, the acid test here and, and um, you know, what I've told the Dojo team is, like, it's, it's, it's successful if the uh, software team wants to turn off the GPU cluster. But if they want to keep the GP, GPU cluster on, it's not successful.
0: <laughs> Thus, per his answer there, expect the rate of improvement on FSD to accelerate quite a bit at some point next year once Dojo comes online. Now, uh, hardware 4.0. Hardware 4, if you'll recall, was announced back at Autonomy Day in uh, early 2019, so two and a half years ago, when they announced the autopilot, uh, that Hardware 3 was starting to ship in all the cars. They said, well, we're already starting on Hardware 4. That question came up in the Q&A, and here was Elon's response.
3: Well, um, I'm confident that uh, Hardware 3, or the full-stop driving computer one, uh, will be able to... Uh, Achieve full self-driving at a safety level much greater than a human. Probably, I don't know, at least two or three hundred percent better than a human. Um, then, obviously, there will be a future hardware for or full self-driving computer too, um, which we'll probably introduce with the Cybertruck. Um, so maybe in about a year or so, uh, that it probably well, that'll be about four times more capable, roughly. Um, but it, it, it's, it's really just going to be. Like can we take it from say, for argument's sake, three hundred percent safer than a person to a thousand percent safer? Um, you know just like there are people on the road who with with varying driving abilities, um, but we still let people drive. you don't have to be the world's best driver to be on the road.
0: I know I've said this before, but I love Elon's analogies. I think he's really good at explaining and or relating complex things in a way that compares and and relates to things that we already understand well. In this case, it was the idea that some drivers on the road are better than others, which is true. And this implies, certainly, that hardware four will be better at FSD than the hardware three that's in our cars now. I am curious how that will manifest itself in practice. Will it make better predictions, react more quickly, Etc. That I'm I'm sort of curious about I'm not sure exactly where Elon's going with that comparison, but also uh, I think this puts to bed at least for now Any speculation in the community because there has been some that we might all get a free upgrade to hardware four if we've paid for the full self-driving package It does not sound like that will be the case so long as Hardware 3, as Elon has once again insisted here, that Hardware 3 can get the job done. Hardware 4 will be better, but if it's not specifically necessary for achieving the goal, it sounds like you are going to need to get a new car to get it. But the other big part of that answer was the suggestion that Hardware 4 would debut with the Cybertruck in about a year, Elon said. And the way he phrased that really kind of jumped out to me, not just listening back when I was pulling the clip, but in the moment, in the room. Does this mean that the Cybertruck itself is still a year away? That, in other words, the debut of both the truck and Hardware 4 will converge, that they'll happen at the same time? Or will the initial Cybertrucks ship with Hardware 3, and then once Hardware 4 is is ready they'll start rolling it into the Cybertruck production line later. My interpretation of that both when he said it and when I listened back to it was the former. Thus that Cybertruck might still be a year away with every Cybertruck getting hardware for because otherwise why would he have said with the Cybertruck he would have just said well we'll start rolling it out into the cars in about a year from now. Why would the Cybertruck you know they're they're probably not going to put hardware for in just the Cybertruck they put it in the whole fleet. So that's where I'm I'm coming from with regard to this speculation. And to be clear, it is speculation on my part. I can't say that for a fact. But I don't know if you heard it the same way I heard it. But uh, all I can say is I did try tweeting Elon shortly before the show here tonight, before I recorded, to try and get a clarification. But here, let me check one more time to make sure he hasn't responded. No, he has not responded. So no response there but but that is what it sounded like to me. So it, that's going to be tough news probably for Cybertruck reservation holders which is so many of you out there if indeed that's true. I mean we've already pushed into into 2022, but if we're talking about production starting, you know, in Q3 ish, maybe even Q4 of 2022, that's about a year passed when, when Tesla had originally planned to start production, of course. And that's if that's the case, I mean, there are certainly reasons you can point to that that while you might still be frustrated, that makes sense. I mean it's the component, the ongoing semiconductor shortage, the raw materials costs that continue to continue to be a problem for not just Tesla, but the entire car industry. Uh, the fact that there's no sign of the giant gigapresses, at Giga Texas, yet because the community is watching Giga Texas like a hawk. Every every thing of significance that's happening there, the community is they've got their drones going and and people can see you know, what's when these gigantic gigapresses are going in, and there's there is no evidence as of yet, here in now late August, that any of the infrastructure needed to build the Cybertruck has started being installed at Giga Texas yet. So Maybe it is going to be another year or so before Cybertruck goes into production. Maybe that sort of dovetails, maybe that's partly because of the 4680 battery cell situation and and that not quite being ready for prime time as of yet. So uh, obviously I'm going to be keeping a very close watch on this, but another indication here that just maybe the Cybertruck is now not just 2022, but in the later stage Of 2022, cross your fingers that it'll be sooner. But if it's not, it's that thing where there's nothing we can do about it. So there's no point in getting too upset, too frustrated. You can always pull your hundred-dollar reservation deposit. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, And the last question in the Q and A, which was awesome because it was exactly the one I had written down that I was going to ask, but. Uh, they were taking the final question. They were, there were a lot of hands going up around the room, so I did not get a chance to ask a question. This was the final question of the night, and it dovetails with that Hardware 4 question. Will or when will the eight autopilot cameras get upgraded on the cars?
3: Well, with Hardware 4, we will, we will have uh, a next-generation camera. Uh, but I have to say that the, the current cameras. We have, we have not reached the limit of the current cameras. Uh, so, um, and I'm confident we can achieve full self-driving with much higher safety than, than, than humans uh, with the current cameras and current uh, compute hardware. Um, but, you know, it would be good to be 1,000% better rather than 300% better. Um, so, um, so we'll, we'll see continued evolution on, on our levels uh, in pursuit of that goal.
0: That makes it pretty clear then. Even if you would want to pay to upgrade your hardware three car to hardware four, once hardware four is released, you are probably not going to be able to because hardware four is going to be an entirely new system, not just the board itself, but the entire camera array too. So there will be a line drawn in the sand. In fact, I imagine that hearing that right now a bunch of you probably started thinking well i guess i'm going to hold off on my next or maybe for some of you first tesla purchase until hardware 4 comes out uh because that's yeah there there are almost certainly not going to be upgrades cuz they're just they're not going to do the cameras they didn't do hardware 1 uh or autopilot 1 upgrades for anybody you know there's there's it would just require too much labor right like You'd have to okay, you could take out the entire uh rear view mirror assembly that has the cameras in it. You could pull that off the windshield, you could put in a new one. You could the repeater cameras on the on the front fenders, those are easy. They pop right out. They're very very simple. So okay, not much of a not much of a labor hassle there. But then are you really going to tear out the B pillars and replace those cameras? Are you going to tear out the rear view camera and, and replace that? It's just, it's not something that Tesla's going to do, particularly as the fleet just gets larger and larger and larger. So it seems as though uh, hardware four cars, you're, you're going to need a new car if you want hardware four. And that was the end of the Q&A and the end of the event. But before I move on to some of the rest of the week's Tesla news, the other thing that I want to talk about is the full self-driving city streets beta. After the event, you walk outside, they were giving two things if you wanted them. you could go get a plaid test ride, which I did, I'll talk about that in a second and they were giving test rides of the city streets' full self-driving beta. That was what I was most curious of because I've never been in a car I've I've watched the videos, but I've not actually been in a full self-driving car. So I jumped right in, and I got a demo ride with an autopilot engineer. And I wanted to tell you about this because I was blown away. I I was absolutely floored, and I was not expecting to be. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to the autopilot team. I have watched plenty of videos of the external beta testers, but for some reason, I don't know if maybe I can't quite quantify it, but for some reason, the videos to me now that I have been in the car, the videos are not as impressive as being in the car is. It's it just I, I don't know if it's just because you're you're sort of feeling the car move and that it's it's smooth. It's not jerky. And that's really that was a big part of it. It behaved very organically for the most part, very smooth, very natural. Now, was this San Francisco? No, it was down in the suburbs, Palo Alto, definitely not as complex of a place to drive than the the hellscape that is San Francisco from a driving perspective. But the route that they had, it was, it did have a variety of roads and it was at night and there were other cars around that that were gonna behave unpredictably. And guess what? The, the full self-driving did great. My driver did my, my, the autopilot engineer who took me out, he did have to intervene once. Uh, there was one point where it was making a, it was sort of turning off and then it sort of funneled into this, this, uh, this little like two lane. It was one lane that kind of then funneled into into two. If you go to the left, which is what we ultimately wanted to do, it was coming up to a stop sign that would then turn left. Or if you went into the right, it would just, I don't know if it was straight or and or right, or just right, whatever it was, if it was a T intersection or not. But, uh, the car kind of got to that, it, it funneled and then it got to where it widens and has to pick a lane and it just kind of froze and it didn't make a choice. And at least it was a few seconds went by maybe three, four five seconds and, and my driver intervened and then, you know, just, and then turned it right back on and it was fine for the entire rest of the drive. And I have to say that to me in a sense, uh, I kind of liked that that happened because it suggested to me that the demo was real and not a pre-coded thing that they were just trying to wow any of the attendees with. In fact, uh the, the probably I think the first question I asked the engineer was is this beta 9.2 that the external beta testers have or is this something further along internally, an internal newer build and he did say, he didn't give me a number or anything, but he did say it's not 9.2, it's something else internally. So, you know, I I don't know, I can't speak to it any more than that. But uh, the point is, I went from being somebody who, again, having watched these videos and, and having watched the FSD beta struggle in my home city and do great other places, but I went from watching those videos and being you know, looking forward to getting the beta in my car and, and, but kind of being patient about it. I haven't really been like chomping at the bit, like, oh, I can't wait to get the beta. I was like, you know, when it comes, I'm curious to check it out and see how it is. After that demo ride, I, I went from, from that to just being really, really excited to get that beta whenever it happens. So it just, it really, really impressed me. And I'm so happy about that. Like, I'm very excited about that fact. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, one last thing here, they were also giving plaid test rides, which was pretty funny because so this is Palo Alto. I mean, most of you probably don't know what Palo Alto looks like, but it's a just kind of a suburban area. There's some hilly areas and business parks, and that's sort of where Tesla is. It's out in a, you know, it's not super residential right where Tesla is particularly, but the point is it's it's not a private test track like at the plaid event at the factory. <laughs> so uh they what they did was if you wanted a plaid test ride, you had to go get on a shuttle bus, and it took you, I don't know, half a mile away, where they'd arranged with the Palo Alto Police Department to close off a a uh a stretch of road, basically. And they were just and it wasn't a a flat, straight section of road. It was It was a curvy, upward-winding road. So (laughs) it was sort of... I guess it would be kind of an S-shaped, maybe, uh, stretch of road. And so you get in the plaid, and they kind of lined it up to launch straight, but then there was, like... So (laughs) they launched the car, which just... It just... It's a monster. It feels... It feels so so much fun. The sensation is amazing uh, in that car. It's just a... It just brute forces you into the headrest that's that's why they tell you make sure your head's already against the headrest and i'll reiterate what i said after i got to drive the plaid uh, on what i talked which i talked about on last week's show i think being a passenger is more intense in in a and i say that in a good way a fun way i think it's more intense as the passenger as a passenger than it is as a driver Because again, as the driver, you are, I think I talked about this last week, you know what's coming. You're the one doing it. And as a passenger, even when they tell you like, okay, three, two, one, it's just, you know, that that pedal goes to the floor and you just get knocked back. And it it is a treat. And then so the guy, I think they blasted up to about 75 on what is normally, I think, a 35 mile an hour street. And then it kind of bends to the left and uphill a little. And it's so you got a it's a really fun experience and I just figured you know what uh how how often am I going to have the chance to get rocketed around in a plaid on a private road in for the foreseeable future it's not often I imagine so I took advantage of the opportunity and as I said that that car it is really a monster Uh, and it, uh, I, I, it's a blast. It, it makes me want one. I mean, I can't, I cannot at all afford one. I haven't even paid off the the model three that I have, but it just is like, oh my God, I, I want this. This is amazing. And, 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 a, a five seat version of it. Like the roadster will be one, but that's, that is a purpose built sports car, basically two seats, even though, you know, they're saying two plus two for the regular config, but the, the model S just as, a, as just this incredibly practical car, but with that kind of power is just, it's something else. Oh my goodness. All right. Uh, there is other Tesla news to get to this week, so let me do that now. First, the Model 3 Standard Range Plus is sold out for the year. And here we are midway through the third quarter, sold out for the duration of 2021. The Model 3 Long Range shows November. Actually, you know what? I, should, I took these notes a few days ago. Now I got to check again because I want to make sure I'm giving you as up-to-date information as I can. So yes, okay. The standard range is showing January and the long range is still showing November, uh, which is what I have in my notes from a few days ago as well. Now the performance Model 3, if you want to go that route, that's the quickest that you can get a new Model 3. You'd have to get a performance, and that will that will get to you in six to seven weeks, which is roughly the end of September. So they'll probably try to sneak you in at the end of Q3. Now, as I said the last time that I talked about this, because this is now a frequent topic of, oh, well, this Tesla sold out for the rest of the year, and this Tesla sold out for the rest of the year. I would imagine that with regard to that, that performance being available they're more or less allowing you to cut the line if you buy their highest margin version of the car. I mean, if they're sold out of production for the year, it makes sense that they would go ahead and prioritize the highest margin cars. So hence my theory on on, uh, that sooner availability option for the Performance Model 3. Now over on the Model Y side, the long range Model Y also sold out for the year. January delivery estimate on that as well. And similar to the Model 3, you can get a performance Y in the same six to seven weeks. Now, what's crazy about the Model Y, actually, I need to check that as well here too, because again, my notes are a few days old from earlier in the week, so let me just double check that as I go over there. So, okay, yes, still showing January, that has not changed, but on the Model Y long range, It may not have changed in the last few days, but it did go from October as an estimated delivery window to December in the span of one week. I know that for a fact because a friend of mine was visiting me. We were catching up. uh, We were hanging out in my garage while I was washing my Model 3. And he was, he'd wanted to come over. He was talking about, he said, hey, I'm trying to work. uh, My wife and I are trying to decide, do we get, a Model Y to replace our our other non-Tesla vehicle, or do we get a a new Model X, because they previously had a Model X that they traded in for the Model 3. Anyway, uh, so new Model X deliveries were showing March or April, March-April range, at the time that that he came over, and the long-range Y, which is the one he was looking at, was showing an October delivery. And again, one week in the the one week from when he was here and we were looking at that to now to when I made my notes and it it changed it went moved from uh, October to January which is uh which is just actually yeah to January because it was it was December no I, I was wrong it was December when I made these notes and now it's January so there you go Go figure. It just keeps backing up and backing up and backing up. Now, Giga Texas is going to help ease this bottleneck, but not at the flip of a switch. Remember, we all know by now. I mean, it's yes, it's kind of common sense, but if you're following along with Tesla, you're listening to this podcast, you know about the production ramp and things take time, and it's going to take some time for the for Tesla to ramp up production at Giga Texas, even if they're going to their plan B and building the very same 2170 cell-based Model Y that Fremont and Shanghai are building now. So I expect those wait times to come down sometime soon-ish, but possibly not till maybe even early next year as Giga Texas opens up and starts to get some volume, starts to get some production momentum going. Now on a similar note to this, I also wanted to point out this that happened this week. The non-refundable deposit fee ha- on all Tesla vehicles has gone up from $100 to $250. And I suspect that with how frequently Tesla's been raising prices and the production backlog, they really want to discourage people who are maybe just throwing down $100 bucks to hold their place in line in the because they've been seeing these price increases happen and they figure well you know I'm not quite ready to buy it yet but I'm just going to throw down a, my $100 reservation fee now so that once they're finally able to build it for me maybe the price will have gone up and I'll have saved myself some money and this seems to be a counter to that uh, would be my guess and and this this will narrow things down to much more serious immediate orders for the car and give Tesla maybe a more accurate idea of uh, of exactly what the queue looks like. And not to mention, with demand being this high, it's more revenue. It's two and a half times more revenue per transaction, uh, at least as far as the reservation fee goes, not overall, obviously. But yeah, you're making an extra 150 bucks for every single order that you have. That's pretty good money if you can get it, and with the demand being what it is, Tesla can get it right now. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Atlantic, Speaking of the Model Y, it has quietly arrived in Europe, well, sort of quietly, because Tesla, knowing how feverishly the Tesla community, myself included, watches every little move that the company makes, Tesla leaned into the arrival of those first homologation Model Y vehicles in a typically humorous Tesla way. Teslarati reporting that uh, both the Twitter accounts Tesla underscore Adri, A-D-R-I, and Uh, Viv, who's Falcon Heavy with no vowels on Twitter, shared several pictures of Model Ys in Europe, one on a tractor trailer and one parallel parked on on the side of the road with gigantic decals, pardon me, across the side of the Model Y that say not Model Y on the side. So it's just funny because Tesla, they could have camouflaged it with the zebra-style pattern wrap that most car companies do when they're trying to hide a new car out in plain sight but I applaud Tesla for just leaning into the humor of the situation here because again they know that everyone will photograph it and post it online anyway with the zebra covering or not I mean it's not like uh, the, the model the model Y is not exactly a car that no one's ever seen right it's it's out in there are hundreds of thousands of them now in North America. So instead, they went with the not a Model Y joke, which was made famous, of course, by the boring company's not a flamethrower that they sold there for a little while. So Tesla, to you, I say, well played. Well played. Uh, meanwhile, some not so great news to report this week. The NHTSA has opened an investigation into autopilot due to accidents in which parked emergency vehicles were hit. So uh, this is certainly not great to hear. And this investigation would be covering 765,000 vehicles from the start of, uh, or pardon me, from 2014 to the 2021 model year that were sold in the United States. And that, if you're wondering, that would be literally everyone with autopilot hardware built into the car be it autopilot one or autopilot two it would also cover vehicles from tesla's entire lineup today the s the x the three the y the nhtsa has identified 11 collisions since 2018 involving tesla's either on autopilot or traffic aware cruise control which ended up hitting parked emergency vehicles A NHTSA spokesperson has issued the following comment about the investigation. Quote, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is committed to ensuring the highest standards of safety on the nation's roadways. In keeping with the agency's core safety mission and to better understand the causes of certain Tesla crashes, NHTSA is opening a preliminary evaluation into Tesla autopilot systems and the technologies and methods used to monitor, assist, and enforce the driver's engagement while uh, with driving while autopilot is in use. NHTSA reminds the public that no commercially available motor vehicles today are capable of driving themselves. Every available vehicle requires a human driver to be in control at all times, and all state laws hold human drivers responsible for operation of their vehicles. Certain advanced driving assistance features can promote safety by helping drivers avoid crashes and mitigate the severity of crashes that occur but as with all technologies and equipment on motor vehicles, drivers must use them correctly and responsibly, end quote. Now, there's a lot that you could pick at with this. And uh, I'm not going to in this case because the a frequent poster on the Tesla Motors Reddit, who's also a former moderator of that Reddit, I've exchanged notes with this person a few times, they go by the handle of one one zero one one zero. Uh, laid out a post and said this, these events occur typically when a vehicle is partially in a lane and radar has to ignore a stationary object. This is pretty standard and inherent with traffic adaptive cruise control plus radar. The faster Tesla pushes the vision stack, the vision only stack to all cars after they validated the data, the faster this topic becomes moot. But now here is the relevant counter argument that 110110 makes uh, They cite older examples from manuals of other traffic-adaptive cruise control systems. The owner's manuals. We're talking about included documentation with the cars. These are documents of public record. So you have Volvo's Pilot Assist. The manual, uh, so according to Wired, Volvo's Pilot Assist system is much the same. The vehicle's manual explains that Not only will the car fail to brake for a sudden stationary object, it may actually race toward it to regain its set speed. Quote, Pilot. This is from the manual now. Pilot assist will ignore the stationary vehicle and instead accelerate to the stored speed. The driver must then intervene and apply the brakes. That is from Volvo's owner's manual. How about page 252? of the Cadillac Super Cruise manual under the category stationary or very slow moving objects. Quote, ACC, meaning adaptive cruise control, may not detect and react to stopped or slow moving vehicles ahead of you. For example, the system may not break for a vehicle it has never detected moving. This can occur in stop and go traffic or when a vehicle suddenly appears due to a vehicle ahead changing lanes. Your vehicle may not stop and could cause a crash. Use caution when using ACC. Your complete attention is always required while driving, and you should be ready to take action and apply the brakes. Here's one more. How about BMW Driving Assistant Plus, page 124. Again, this is a incredibly perfectly sourced. This says it better than I ever could. Again, page 124, BMW. A warning may not be issued when approaching a stationary or very slow-moving obstacle. You must react yourself. Otherwise, there is the danger of an accident occurring. If a vehicle ahead of you unexpectedly moves into another lane from behind a stopped vehicle, you yourself must react as the system does not react to stopped vehicles. I think the point is made. You see where 110, 110 is going you see what i am also trying to say and that is if tesla is guilty i'm going back to the air quotes here if tesla is guilty of anything here then so is every other auto manufacturer who offers a similar traffic adaptive or just some sort of adaptive cruise control system so but is te- yeah but here's tesla being picked on so go figure but to look at this optimistically to look at this optimistically If this government inquiry helps lead to better regulations, or better yet, better progress on the technology by way of said new regulations, then hey, everybody will be better off for it. So again, this is another story I will certainly be keeping an eye on with regard to this investigation because it affects basically all of uh, any of you listening that own a Tesla, which is probably most of my audience. So this affects and me too. I'm, I'm in that group. So we'll we'll uh, we'll keep close eye on this one. Finally, this week, let's get back to some good news. How about some good sales? The United States EV segment is growing this year, 2021, with Tesla, of course, leading the way. Tesla Roddy reports, as per data shared by Experian. Electric vehicle registrations more than doubled in the first half of 2021, with 214,111 new EVs being registered across the US from January to June. This was a huge increase considering that in the first half of 2020, 98,351 electric cars were registered nationwide. Back then, EVs represented only about 1.5% of all new vehicle registrations in the US. This has now increased to 2.5% of the country's total new vehicle registrations. With the electric vehicle market gaining momentum this year, it was no surprise that the United States' best-selling EVs, the Model Y and the Model 3, as you no doubt already guessed, accounted for the lion's share of the total EV registrations in the country. Tesla's vehicles accounted for about two-thirds of all new EV registrations in the first half of the year, and that is with the high-margin Model S sedan seeing limited deliveries, and the Model X being entirely on pause. Model Y clocked in 81,802 registrations, the Model 3 at 56,755, and then in third place you had the Chevy Bolt at 20,141. And the Ford Mustang Mach-E, which admittedly is still brand new and just getting out in the marketplace, they came in with 11,068 new registrations in the United States. But uh, the point is here, this is great news for Tesla because you 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 can look ahead and see, well, the aforementioned Giga Texas is going to open up basically a new fire hose of Model Y production next year after they do ramp up production. That's only going to help Tesla's numbers. But what I actually want to come back to here is what I think, I think the really fantastic part of this isn't the Tesla dominated or the, but, but it is that, the it's the overall statistic. EVs went, up, went from being 1.5% of all new US vehicle registrations in 2020. It went up to 2.5%. Now, even though that is still a tiny overall number, I think that is some incredible growth in a very short amount of time, particularly when you consider how much customer education that, that still needs to happen with regards to EVs. I guess put more generally, we haven't even witnessed the normalization of electric vehicles yet and the fact that, you know, there's still kind of a novelty. There's still uh, an un, unexpected thing in a lot of places. So I think that's tremendous growth. And it's not just Tesla and Giga Texas. And again, I'm not mentioning Giga Berlin because we're talking about specifically the United States statistics here. And Giga Berlin is going to be delivering cars, uh, producing and delivering cars for Europe. But so you have not just Giga Texas and, and some good news for Tesla to look forward to in, say, 2022. But you look ahead with you got more EVs coming to the market from other manufacturers. You've got the Volkswagen ID4, which I've seen a couple of in my neighborhood, which is great to see. There's the Audi e-tron GT, which is effectively the, the cousin to the Porsche Taycan. You've got the Hummer EV. You've got the Ford F-150 Lightning. And then, yes, also next year, hopefully, even if it's the fall, the Cybertruck as well. All of those vehicles are only going to drive that 2.5% number much, much higher in the next five years. And hopefully beyond that, not just the next five, the next 10, the next 20, the next 50. This really is just fantastic news for the entire EV movement. When you think about it, this is Tesla's mission statement happening in real time. We are all watching it come true and happen in real time, which is really, really cool. Now, this show has gone on, Uh, I think I'm up to about an hour or so already. So uh, I think I'm going to hold the Ride the Lightning calls for next week with one exception. I'm not going to take a little break. I'm just going to play this right now because uh, this, this call, this is a great call. It's from Kenny from Newport News, Virginia, a longtime caller. I love hearing from Kenny. But Kenny brings up something that I've gotten a lot of emails about, a lot of tweets about, a lot of hotline phone calls about. And there's a new update on this. So I'm going to let Kenny take it from here.
4: Hey, Ryan, what's going on, man? It's Kenny calling in from Newport News, Virginia. It's been a little while, but my brother and I are on a road trip and we were listening to your podcast along the way. He has just recently put in an order for a Model Y Man, we are super excited. It's the first one in the family. So anyway, we're riding together and he had a question for you. So, hey, here's Chess. Hey, hey, Ryan. Uh, Kenny and I might sound a lot alike because we're identical twins, so. Uh, Yeah, my question, uh, my name's Chess. I'm from the Richmond area. Uh, My question is, you know, the Biden administration is working on legislation right now for EVs, um, for incentivizing EVs, and I'm just curious if you know any of the latest details on what we can expect. I'm due to take delivery in uh, October or early November. So just was wondering if you had any updates or any information on the EV incentives and uh, maybe what we could expect here, hopefully this year or maybe early next year. I- I'd hate to get in the car and miss out on something. So uh, just wanted to find out what you knew about it. Thanks, man. All right, man. We look forward to hearing the answer. Thanks.
0: Chess, welcome to the podcast, and congratulations on your upcoming Model Y. And Kenny, it is always great to hear from you. Now, the bad news I have for you is that the latest word on the bill is that it could end up being made almost entirely useless to Tesla buyers. Here is the amendment to the EV tax credit bill proposed by Senator Deb Fischer of Nebraska, explaining it in her own words on the Senate floor.
5: Mr. President, Americans making over $100,000 a year claimed nearly 80% of electric vehicle tax credits in 2016. According to the National Resources Defense Council, a left-wing environmental advocacy group, EVs cost $19,000 more than gas-powered vehicles. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle like to say wealthy Americans should pay their fair share in taxes. Yet they want to expand a tax credit to disproportionately benefit even more people with six-figure salaries. Everyday Americans are living paycheck to paycheck because of the sharp rise in costs due to inflation. But my colleagues on the other side want to subsidize luxury vehicles only the rich can afford, using money from hardworking taxpayers, and my amendment would put a stop to that. It simply prohibits individuals from claiming the tax credit if they make over $100,000 a year, or if the car they are buying costs over $40,000.
0: Well, setting aside the fact that apparently every little thing now in politics has to include poking and prodding at your political rivals on either side, I agree with her in principle that the credit should go to lower income buyers. But She is also cherry-picking her data there when she says that 80% of the credits were used by people with six-figure incomes in 2016. Well, yeah, in 2016, there practically weren't any affordable EVs and thus, it made it tough for people with incomes under six figures to buy them. In 2016, you had the Model S, the Model X, the Nissan LEAF, which, no disrespect to anybody with a an <laughs> LEAF out there, I was probably, I think, fair to regard it, not a particularly desirable car, due primarily to its short range, although I, I'm not a fan of its styling as well. The, the first version of it, I mean, the second version looks fine. And uh, at the tail end of 2016, at the tail end, Chevy did ship the first wave of the Chevy Bolts. There was no Model 3 yet. There was no ID4. Some of these other vehicles that are coming around now were not there in 2016. But anyway, that is where we stand on the EV tax credit renewal issue. If the bill were to be signed uh, into law in its current form, only the Standard Range Plus Model 3 would qualify, and it would only do so if you make less than six figures. And that's if the price doesn't go up again, on the Standard Range Plus Model 3, because right now it is right there. It is at, what's, $39,990, I believe. So we'll follow that. But the good news is that it hasn't passed yet, and it can still be amended further. So we will see what happens on this. It does look like something is probably going to get passed. It's just a question of what its final form will look like, and if it will end up, being able to benefit Tesla owners at all, given uh, the, the you know the price of Tesla vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you to both Kenny and Chess for calling in on that. And I do jo- just want to remind everybody, even though I'm just playing one call this week because I've been talking so long about AI Day, I do want to invite everybody to call in, just like Kenny did with his brother. So if you've got a Tesla-related question, comment, or discussion topic, maybe something about Uh, AI day that you heard, the Tesla bot, the hardware for the uh, new cameras that will come with that, the Cybertruck and its potential delay into later 2022, et cetera, et cetera. Give me a call. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less, and then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can take your that same call and just leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's very simple. You dial a toll-free number anytime you want, and that number is 1-888-989-8752. Uh, and I wanted to mention real quick, this is late breaking insofar as within the context of me recording this late on Friday night. I talked earlier in the podcast about my personal concern or actually, no, That wasn't mine. It was uh, the sentiment I saw in the community about, hey, how does the Tesla bot further Tesla's mission? Well, Omar from Holmar's catalog asked Elon that very question uh, 35 minutes ago as I posted, as I record this and asked exactly that. In your view, how does Tesla bot relate to Tesla's mission? And Elon at least was honest. And he said, bot is not directly on the path of accelerating a sustainable energy future. But it aspirationally improves the probability that the future is good, which is something that we've heard Elon talk about personally as a personal goal for him. But um, it's not baked into the mission statement. But at least you know I'm, I'm not saying I'm not uh, rejecting his assertion there or accepting it wholeheartedly. I do still think that is a fair concern, but. At least Elon took the question head on and gave an honest response to it. So thank you, Omar, for posing that to Elon and and managing to get a response right there. All right. uh, I'm going to take a very short, like five second little musical bumper break here. Hang with me. I'll be right back with some more. I've got what am I talking about? I have some more in my notes. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, there's more coming. So hang with me. Be right back. All right, winding things down here, let me start with this week's pro tip of the week. It comes from Curtis in Southern California.
6: Hey, Ryan, uh, this is Curtis from Southern California. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast since October of 2020 and have enjoyed every single week of it. and Really appreciate everything you've done. Uh, I want to give a pro tip of the week as well as answer one of the questions uh, your callers had uh, previously. Um, uh, after I received my 2021 Model 3 a month later, we got hit in a side swipe. Uh, That ended up taking out my passenger mirror. It was late at night, and we want to continue our travel. Um, So without a passenger mirror, it made me uneasy to drive. Uh, But what I recall while driving, um, that I can actually access the cameras. Um, So what I did is I turned on the camera, and I was able to see my right side uh, blind spot without needing any mirrors. So it definitely helped out a lot. Uh, So the family is safe, and it was unfortunate the car happened had an accident but we were glad to be in one of the safest cars out there uh didn't feel any issue whatsoever when we were hit um and to answer the question about the uh trunk a uh, powered lift trunk in the model three uh yes it does have the ability to uh memorize the height of how high it goes i actually tested out right after that call from bob in the uk um but yeah it worked out and it's really great to have this great community and thank you for everything you've done uh Really glad to hear that Daisy is doing a lot better, and congratulations on six years of podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Curtis, thank you for the kind words, and thank you for confirming that the Model 3's new power liftgate on the 2021 models does indeed have the same functionality that the other Teslas do in that department. Now, I'm very sorry to hear that your new car was hit. I hope it's as good as new by now, by the time you're hearing this call, but yeah, good thinking on using the repeater cameras as side view cameras in the meantime. Uh, I pull them up from time to time on the road myself to double check lane changes. They could be really useful. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed that feature since Tesla added it. So safe travels, Curtis. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if anyone else out there has a pro tip of the week, something useful and interesting to your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, please call in with it. You call in the same way that you send in a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call, which I gave you that information just a few minutes ago. Now, as for what's going on with me this week, first of all, I'd like to, uh, humbly, not humbly, uh, gratefully note my slacker, uh, in my car that I was complaining about last week seems to have fixed itself, which is nice. I appreciate that. I don't know if it just I spoke it into existence, and it uh, it, it fixed itself. But I, I'm happy about that. So, look, uh, happy to have good audio that I don't have to wait like two minutes between tracks for, and that will complete an entire song that I want to listen to without skipping to the next one randomly. So that's good stuff. And then the other thing I was up to this week, I want to tell you about a little project. You know the uh, the Nfts are are uh, everybody's having fun with with non-fungible tokens right now and everybody's having you know the, the cryptocurrency is is uh, something I need to learn more about and and get to know. it's it's been a big part of, of uh, the Tesla community now, people getting more and more familiar with with it through uh, of course Elon's a big proponent of Dogecoin and and Bitcoin whether he's for it or against it sometimes depending on the day what have you. but anyway, uh, I decided, to create my own NFTs, just for fun. I mean, if this is something you're not interested in, maybe just fast forward, it's no problem. But uh, I've made some NFTs and I came up with the name. So it's, it's inspired by Tesla, which is why I'm even telling you about it. And it's inspired by the hedgehog that you get when you can, when you order a car. You know, you get the hedgehog that's, that's waving and says, ha ha, yes. So it's, it's inspired by that. And I've named it, I just thought Hedgelord sounded funny because if you've heard the term Edgelord is sort of this like sort of funny online term about, (laughs) Uh, and then of course, hedgehog. So I just thought Hedgelord was funny. So if you go to, uh, I've put up a little website, it's at www.hedgelord.net, H-E-D-G-E-L-O-R-D.net. And and apparently you have to put in the www for some reason. I don't know why the, why that is. I don't know enough about about building websites. But www.hedgelord.net and it's a the first collection is up. It's 10 and 10 Hedgelord NFTs and they are each uh, Tesla inspired Hedgelords with different Tesla inspired things on their shirts. So the one that is my avatar, if you if you follow me on Twitter and or Instagram, you'll see that I've I've changed it to my uh, my I've changed my avatar to Hedgelord number one, which has the uh, uh, like the Tesla tequila lightning bolt bottle uh, sort of inspired shape on the front of it. it's all done very carefully so as not to infringe, hopefully not infringe upon any tesla trademarks or anything so that's mine and it's my new profile picture and as you know you may know with nfts when you uh, acquire one you are the sole owner of it it's like buying a painting so again you can see mine on my twitter or instagram profile picture each one costs just just a tiny fraction of ethereum of eth for those of you into cryptocurrency and uh, before I could even record the podcast, the first collection is already almost sold out. There are just a few left, so if you're interested in, or just just curious, take a look. Again, I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to sh- push anything, you know, down your throat for this podcast. I mean, the 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 number one way you can always support the podcast, please, is Patreon. This the 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 NFT thing is just a for fun project you know, the, but I will, so, you know, this collection, like I said, is almost sold out, but they'll, there will be future collections. I don't know how often, but in small, you know, groups of probably 10, just every now and again to kind of keep them rare, keep them fun. But, uh, check it out if you're curious. And again, it's just a for fun thing, but yeah, the, the, the Patreon, which I guess I'll just go ahead and mention now, as I mention every time, every part of the show at the end. But uh, that is the number one way to support the podcast. That's uh, if, you, if you're looking to support me and say, "Hey, you know what, Ryan? You've you've gone to another event and you've done a. Hopefully, you think you did a great job recapping it and bringing it bringing it home to me since I couldn't be there. And you think, well, you know what, Ryan? I'm fi- I'm going to support you on Patreon. You can go to my Patreon page, which is Patreon.com/slash Tesla Podcast, and you can see all the information there, the various support tiers they you know you got the you got the sport tier at at 5 bucks a month or 57 for a, for the year you know so one and you get the 5% discount if you do the yearly pledge then there's the the uh, ludicrous tier which gets you the the bonus mini episode every month and the early access and then you go up you know the maximum plaid tier at 25 a month uh or 285 for the year and that'll get you Everything, including a shout-out at the end, that's coming up, of course, as well as an invite every month to the monthly Patreon-only Maximum Plaid Google Hangout, which we've been having a blast at every single month. So anyway, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you feel like the time has finally come that I have earned your support. Again, earned, because it is earned, not given. Uh, what else? Some other friends of the podcast... Go to abstractocean.com, the home of so many great Tesla accessories. I'm actually just going to jump on there real quick right now. If we look, uh, well, actually, before I do that, I'll just mention the the, the important part. Coupon code RTL podcast, all one word. That gets you 15% off of your first order at abstractocean.com. So if we go to the Model 3 section, I mean, there, there's four categories. You've got interior stuff, exterior stuff, like mud flaps, uh, interior stuff like a frunk organizer. You've got vinyl wraps for all the various, both new and old center consoles and, and armrests and all the those various scratchy pieces in the car. Uh, and then the lighting kits, that's a big part, of course, as well. Uh, door handle trims, if you want to do your own, chrome delete or put a, they've got like a cool uh, cut carbon fiber pattern that you could do on your your uh, door handle, so that could look pretty... It's all kinds of stuff. AbstractOcean.com. Check it out. Use the coupon code if you're going to buy anything. Meanwhile, everyamp.com slash RTL, that's where you get the snap plate, which is... That is the front license plate bracket to get. If you're in a place, you're in a state, in the United States or Canada, I guess, because the plates are the same size there, that you've got... By by law, you've got to have the plate... I highly recommend the snap plate rather than using the included one with your car because that one sticks on with automotive tape. If you ever want to take that off, you A, kind of really can't, and if you do, it might not end well. The snap plate uh, snaps on and off in seconds, but it'll do so securely when it's on. It's paint safe, grill safe, radiator safe, autopilot safe. You can take it off for car shows or Went for car washes, et cetera, et cetera, everyamp.com slash RTL there. If you are in the San Francisco Bay Area or going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area with your Tesla, or any car for that matter, it doesn't have to be a Tesla, uh, why not get some awesome detailing work at Immaculate Reflections? I promise you, your car will look better than new when Jeff is done with it. Cause that's, you can see my car, my car just turned three years old. It looks better than it did the day I, it, that I took delivery better. And it's 33,000 miles later. Uh, IRdetailing.com is the website. When you contact Jeff, you can email him, contact him through his site there. Mention that you're a ride, the lightning listener. And there's a nice little discount waiting for you. Again, the, the, the primary detailing services, it's not everything, but there's kind of the three big ones. There's paint correction, You know, and you can do any of these or combine them, you know, you can do one of them, two of them, three of them, whatever you want to do. There's paint correction to take out any flaws in the paint that were either there at delivery or have accumulated over time. There is paint protection film, which I cannot recommend enough on any Tesla because the entire front of all of our cars are paint. There's no grill, really. There's no like big grill like on an internal combustion engine car to absorb rock damage without really showing any damage. We've just got paint that will chip off. Uh, So I'm definitely a big proponent of paint protection film. And then, of course, there's also uh, ceramic coating, which is a super wax. It's a 21st century super wax. You get the car ceramic coated, then you don't have to wax it for the next three to five years. Super worth it, in my humble opinion. Anyway, irdetailing.com to... Get in touch with Jeff. Get booked in with him. PureTesla.com slash RTL, your one-stop shop. For your dash cam and sentry mode needs, just 49 bucks with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. gets you the 128-gigabyte dash cam kit, which I cannot recommend enough on that as well. Every Tesla owner, you gotta do it. And, and the reason that you wanna go with the Pure Tesla kit is because it is microSD-based, It is a media format that is designed for the constant reading and writing that happens with dash cam and sentry mode. Regular USB flash memory, as Daisy the Boxer absolutely snores loudly next to me on the couch, uh, regular USB flash memory will not last. I have personally experienced that. So I've been rocking the pure Tesla for, I can say, years now, and it just keeps on working exactly like it's supposed to work. So it's 49 bucks well spent, if you ask me. Again, the website, puretesla.com slash RTL. Finally, yes, finally, I know it's been a long podcast this week. Jada has their excellent line of products. If you've got a 2021 Model 3 or Model Y, why not grab the USB hub console? It's a storage organizer. It's a USB hub. It's an Apple Watch charger. It's an AirPod charger. It's everything. For the let's te- all kinds of great stuff in one product. Uh, definitely recommend that if you're gonna buy that, use the coupon code RTL. And I'm gonna give you the specific website to go to in a second because I have a referral link. If you would be so kind as to use my referral link, I would thank you greatly. Uh, but in addition to the USB hub console, there's also the uh, the SSD drive. If you want to go even harder core than. Than the pure Tesla kit, there's also the uh, Jada tray, which is again I've told you about this. I have it in my car. It's got the AirPod or Pixel Bud wireless charger. It's got the smartwatch charger. In fact, my wife, her watch, we got we got in the car to go to my brother in law's house last weekend, and my wife was like, "Oh, can I bring a cord to charge my watch in your car when we're driving down there? Because it's a it's a bit of a long ways," and I was like, "Oh, you don't even need that. Just Boop, just magnet, just hook it, magnetize it right here on the, on the Jada tray. And that totally worked perfectly. And then finally, they have, of course, the, uh, the Jada wireless charging pad. All the new Teslas have it built in. But if you've got one of the older Model 3s like I do, I cannot recommend that product enough. So whatever, if any of that appeals to you, use that coupon code RTL for a nice discount, and buy from this URL. It's getjada.com slash ref eight, and that is that. Let me say hi to the Plaid, Maximum Plaid, and Roadster and Space tier Patreon backers, and then I promise I will let you go. First, the Roadster and Space crew, thank you so much for your ultra generous support. Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thank you all very much. On the Maximum Plaid front, the newest Maximum Plaid backer, Zachary Howard. Zachary, thank you so much for pledging at the Maximum Plaid tier. I appreciate it sincerely. And along with the rest of the Maximum Plaid crew, I thank Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Ebersole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel. Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Maite Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, and Matt Kalen. Thank you all. And last and certainly not least, the Plaid Crew. Thank you so much for your very long-running support. Here, a lot of these names have been on this list for a long time, which I am very grateful for. George Cassioppo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondal, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla Owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake. Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanias, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, The Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, The Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zalesny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. Thank you all very much for kindly supporting my efforts on the podcast, because in all honesty, you know, I I love doing the podcast, but without the Patreon support, I would not be able to justify the amount of time and energy that goes into this thing. But I do love doing it, and I hope that reflects in what you listen to each and every week. This was another amazing week, obviously, getting to unexpectedly go in person to AI Day. Uh, That was just a treat, so... That'll wrap it up. I've been talking long enough for this week. I need to respect your time because your time is your most valuable commodity in my opinion. You know, everybody, I guess, values different things, but to me, the fact that you would take an hour, well over an hour this week of your time each and every week to hang out with me here on Ride the Lightning and share together in our in our collective enthusiasm for these awesome cars and this incredible company and the the things that they are doing and striving to do as well as we heard about with AI Day this week. I love it. I just have a blast and I'm, I'm so grateful that you choose to join me each and every week. So for Daisy the Boxer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 316. Happy electric motoring and I will see you back here next week.